Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. William Shakespeare once said, No legacy is so rich as honesty. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly, so we are going to get started. Hello, Jonathan. What's happening? How you doing, Rick? I'm great. Hey, our, our uh, subject for tonight is Elijah Part 3, The Power of... Of legacy. Boy, this life, his, his life goes on and on, doesn't it? <laughs> it? certainly does. And our theme text is found in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse." So, Elijah Part 3, The Power of Legacy. When you think about legacy, we want to start by thinking about it, everything in a different perspective. Let's go the other direction. We, we are so short-sighted. Most of us can only see as far as the next phone, tablet, or computer screen. And we really don't think much about what we're seeing. We just want to see it. We want to have our minds toyed with and occupied, never giving thought to what is beyond and to what is lasting. In our obsession with the occupation of our moments, we have completely lost one of the greatest things that we could ever personally bring to our world. We have lost the value of legacy. Now, legacy, by one definition, is something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. You see, we have the ability to leave a lasting and positive impression on our world if we would only realize that potential and act on it. Elijah is a great example of legacy. In fact, Elijah left one of the most unique and powerful legacies of any Bible hero at any time. So, what legacy did he leave? And how did he do it? That's what we're talking about tonight, the power of legacy. It's Elijah, part three. Hey, Rick, some people think of a legacy as something material, like an estate, such as property, a gift, or money left to someone after they die. Is that the type of legacy we're talking about? Absolutely. What are you leaving me? Uh. (laughs) No, no, absolutely not. (laughs) No, that's not what we're talking about. And and I'm glad you brought that up because there, there there are different parts to legacy. Legacy is, in fact, something left behind. And oftentimes it is money. Uh, For instance, the Nobel Prizes are a legacy left behind, a fund left behind so that 
greatness and excellence can be rewarded in several different fields. That's a legacy that goes from generation to generation to generation, funded by money. There are lots of legacies that work that way. But look, face the facts. Most of us are not in a position to leave a financial legacy. But it doesn't negate the power of the legacy that we can leave. And that's what we want to talk about tonight, is the kind of legacy that money can't buy. It's the kind of legacy that can change lives by the life that you have lived. And Jonathan, there is nobody else in Scripture who really defines legacy in such a unique way as Elijah. So that's a, a good clarification to get us started. So now look, in, in our previous episode of the Power Series, remember this Power Series on Elijah now consists of three different things. First was the power of courage, second was the power of submission, and third today is the power of legacy. So in part two, the power of submission, we saw Elijah build an impenetrable courage as he walked more and more effortlessly in precise accordance with God's will. This display of attitude and action on his part would serve as a powerful reminder of the purpose of his life. And the purpose of his life was really simple. It was to speak and to execute the will of God. And if you remember, the name Elijah means Jehovah is God. That's right. So he lived his name, and that's part of the incredible legacy of Elijah the prophet. So, so Jonathan, right from the start, just by reviewing a little bit of what we discussed in Elijah, the power series part two, the power of submission, it brings us to our very first legacy uh, lesson already, and what is that? The more clearly defined one's direction in life is, the more understandable and inspirational one's legacy becomes. So when we think of Elijah, we need to think of his name, Jehovah is God, and think, okay, Elijah actually lived his name. That's a clearly defined direction in life. When you see the clarity of the direction, it's really easy to understand the power of where that direction is bringing you. So that's the first point on legacy. And, and, and Jonathan, before we get into what legacies are and, and how they work and all of that, folks, the question we want to ask each of you is really simple. Do you ever think about your legacy? Because we all have one. Whether you plan it, whether you think you're contributing to it or not, you are creating a legacy of sorts with the way you live your life, with the words you say, with the thoughts you think, with the actions that you accomplish or don't accomplish. You are creating a legacy. Do you ever think about it? Because I think most of us don't. We just are so tied up in moments we forget the, the bigger picture. So let, let's, let's diverge for a moment. Let's go to a soundbite. Um, and this was a YouTube video called Leave Your Legacy Fellowship Stories. And this is sort of a kind of a, I don't know, an inspirational pep talk on the power of legacy. Legacies are roads left paved for those that will follow. They leave trails filled with reflective ideals. They are monumental. They are minimal, but they are never forgotten. Children, grandchildren, neighborhoods, co-workers, friends, enemies, 
the lives of those around us inherit the story we leave behind. They make their way to everywhere, through tale or virtue. Legacies stand tall in the face of trial. They prevail. They're found in risk that clings to the promise of hope. Legacies stand tall in the face of trial and they prevail. Both good legacies and bad legacies stand tall in the face of trial and they prevail. And Jonathan, one very sad example of a legacy, and I just read a short part of this article because it was frankly depressing. I don't remember, I saw it somewhere some some man died uh, someplace in the United States, and his family um, did not have a funeral service, did not want to remember him, did not want to do anything to draw attention to him. They were all glad he was gone. Now, How you, sad. It is. It's tragic. What I mean, obviously, there was something about this individual that was not not good. and you, and that's his legacy. His legacy was to not want to be remembered. Now, look, folks, we all leave some kind of legacy, and, and we're all imperfect, so it's not going to be the same thing in, in every part of our lives. But the question is, do you think about the legacy that you're leaving, and what does it contain? What is it about? What does it point people towards? So with that in mind, let's go to the story of Elijah. Now, remember, at the end of the last program, he was pretty much at the very end, he was taken up in the, in the whirlwind, in the chariot. That's right. Yes. All right. So here's the question. So did Elijah go to heaven? No. Okay. Now, wait a minute, because it says he was taken up into the heavens, but you're saying no. That's right. Okay. But, but he was taken up in the chariot. Yes, he was. Okay. So why do we say that Elijah did not go to heaven? And because we believe he didn't go to heaven. Now, for some, that's a shock. Like, what are you talking about? It says he was taken up into the heavens. Well, first of all, the word heavens means the sky. Okay? That's, let's just let's clarify that. But first of all, something that most of us don't know is Elijah's influence continued even after he was taken off the scene, even after he went up in the chariot ride. King Jehoram of Israel received a letter from the prophet Elijah several years after the chariot scene, indicating that the king would be punished severely for his sins. This is shown to us in 2 Chronicles 21, verses 12 to 14. A letter came to him from the prophet Elijah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, Because you have not walked in the ways of your father Jehoshaphat, or in the ways of King Isaiah of Judah, but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel and have led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem into unfaithfulness as the house of Ahab led Israel into unfaithfulness. And because you also have killed your brothers, members of your father's house who were better than yourself, see the Lord will bring a great plague on your people. So uh, Elijah, this letter from the prophet Elijah is telling him that you've done wrong to uh, Judah, the house of Judah, just like Ahab did wrong to the house of Israel. Remember the ten tribes, two tribe kingdoms? Yes. So 
Ahab was king over Israel, and Elijah, we know the story of Elijah dealing with him. Many years later, depending on what what historian you read, it's maybe seven years later or 13 years later or or even 20 years later, some say. This letter from the prophet goes to the... uh, to, to this particular king, and is, is telling him that something powerful is going to happen. So, and as usual, what Elijah says comes to be. It happens. Now, in this case, Elijah didn't seek out the king and didn't have an audience with the king. He simply sent a letter. Now, there's several questions about that. Well, okay, was that really a letter from Elijah? We're going we're gonna to touch on that in a moment. But first, let's just touch on what happened to the house of uh, King Jehoram. And that goes into Second Chronicles uh, uh, chapter 21, verse 20. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and he departed with no one's regret. And they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Doesn't that sound like the example that we were just talking about a few minutes ago? Yes. I mean, think about that. Think about the legacy of where it says in Second Chronicles, he reigned eight years and he departed with no one's regret. Nobody regretted the departing of this particular king. And you think... Man, what kind of life, what kind of life statement do you leave when, when you leave that way? You see, everybody has a legacy. Everybody leaves a legacy. We leave it whether we plan it or not. We leave it whether we want it or not. We all leave a legacy. This is a classic example of a legacy. So, what Elijah wrote actually came to pass. Now, Jonathan, it was interesting because when you see in the, um, in, in the account the, uh, uh, th- th- this letter coming in later, many of the Bible commentators get very upset by that because, you know, it seems this picture of Elijah going into heaven, it seems like the perfect ending to the perfect prophetic life, right? It does. <laughs> but... But. <laughs> but but he somehow appears on the scene later. Now, some of them say, well, it was a letter from an angel who put the name of Elijah on it. Some of the commentators say, well, it was another prophet named Elijah. Some of the commentators say, well, it was a mistranslation. It meant really Elisha, the other, the other prophet. But the, the manuscripts do not bear that out. Some of, the transla- some of the commentators say, well, it was written beforehand and held for all of those years, then given to the king. Our, our reasoning on that is no, 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 and no. <laughs> it simply was God's way of taking him off of the scene and putting him aside. His work was now done. His public work was done, except for this final writing that came much later. And so the, the first reason we don't believe Elijah went to heaven is that, look, he, he shows up in form of a letter, you know, 7, 8, 10, 20 years later. The second reason we don't believe Elijah went to heaven is because essentially Jesus told us that. Now, was Jesus talking specifically about Elijah? No, but let's take a look at um, John chapter 3, verse 13. And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. So, So, go ahead. I'm sorry. So, Rick, 
the heavenly opportunity did not come to any until Jesus' sacrifice, and only those who were footstep followers of Jesus and were proven faithful by God only would be there. Mankind has made a farce of heaven by putting heathens, atheists, and nominal Christians there. How sad. And they put Elijah there, and he didn't belong there. And and Jesus makes that statement. Now, how are you going to argue with what Jesus Christ himself said? No man has ascended into heaven. So you've got this sense that, okay, Elijah's legacy was clear, was secure, and was firm. And he didn't have to go to heaven to make the legacy. He just had to finish his work. And I think that's, that's the important part of this. And another uh, person that's not in heaven, how about Abraham? Now, what you need to do is you need to see program, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God, Part 3, because in that program it describes uh, that it was symbolic and not literal. Right. Oh, Abraham's bosom with the rich man and all of that. Yes. You got it. That's something yes. that, that definitely need, needs uh, explanation and understanding. But so, so, Jonathan, you've got this letter from Elijah many years later. He's been quiet all this time. This brings us to legacy lesson number two. What is that? Elijah's obedient and godly character was summed up in simple, simply writing the will of God, a powerful and godly legacy transcends any physical presence. Okay, so... Elijah's legacy was continued by simple words on, well, for us on paper, for him on parchment. His words written transcended the physical presence of him before Ahab so many times. It was bigger than that because it was smaller than that. He had proved himself to be such a worthy, clear servant of God Almighty that mere written words were enough to show those players who had gone off of the path of righteousness what was going to happen to them. That's the legacy of Elijah. The, a, a powerful and godly legacy transcends any physical presence. It's bigger than, it's stronger than, it lasts longer than a physical presence. So again, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do you ever think about your legacy? And if you don't think about it, why don't you? Because you're leaving one, whether it's something that is really forefront in your mind or something that you've never even thought about. Everybody leaves a legacy. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is Elijah Part 3, The Power of Legacy. Coming up, so what is the long-range legacy of Elijah? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Elijah, Part 3, The Power of Legacy. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. Wherever you are on the planet, listen to our episodes and interact with us on the Christian Questions app. Download now in your Google or Apple store 
by searching Christian Questions Radio. And Jonathan, you know, just by mentioning that wherever you are on the planet and, and so forth, I've had the, the, the a great privilege of actually corresponding with some listeners in India uh, oh, neat. this past uh, couple of weeks, emailing back and forth. So uh, it's really kind of cool to uh, have that kind of correspondence going on. Um, so we're talking about legacy and the long-range legacy of Elijah. Now, we know that Elijah turned his work over to Elisha. Remember, he handed over the mantle and all of that stuff. That's right. But we're not going to talk about Elisha at all, all right? We're going to go far beyond Elisha because the long-range legacy of Elijah is startling in how big it is, how powerful it is, and where it shows up. And so it didn't just end with that letter. No, 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 no. It just began with that letter. I mean, that letter was like a drop in the bucket when we're going to talk about the rest of Elijah's legacy. But before we get to that, before we get to the beginning to understand the long-range legacy of Elijah, let's go to a story. This is a TED Talk from Minky Haveman, and it's called The Importance of Leaving a Legacy. And she tells a personal story about legacy. And the story starts... With a pair of pink shoes. Today, I'm going to tell you about my shoes. About five years ago, my mother took me out shoe shopping. She was a shoe addict. I was not. So she came up to me with these really pink, high-heeled shoes, and I told her, no, they're not for me, because shoes are for walking, right? No, my child, she said. Some shoes are for having, and these are, so I'm buying these for you whether you will wear them or not, they're yours. So she did. And why am I telling you this? Because I know this story and you don't. You just see pink shoes, and I see the last present my mother ever bought for me. I see the lights in her eyes, when she paid for them and handed me over the box. So, this is not about my shoes. This is about a legacy, about leaving stories for when you're not around to tell them anymore. So, and that is such a powerful thing. The shoes become this symbol of her mother. And we'll unfold that story further as we go through the podcast today. Uh, but it, 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 it's, look, now this is not a story, Jonathan, that you or I can relate to, I don't think, okay? <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> okay. But it's a powerful story because it's a story about a legacy of a mother to a daughter. And so with something like that, everybody should pay attention. So we'll, we'll come back to that as the podcast unfolds. So let's get back now to Elijah. Now, interesting uh, interesting uh, uh, trivia fact, if you will. If you ask, who's the last person ever mentioned in the Old Testament? Do you think people will know the answer? I don't know. Who is the last person ever mentioned in the Old Testament? How about Elijah? Elijah is the last person ever spoken of in the Old Testament. And our theme scriptures that you had talked about are actually the very last verses of the Old Testament. And so they talk about Elijah in the last verse, in in the second to the last verse, and describe the work of Elijah in the last verse. Now look, if you said, okay, let's examine Elijah's legacy, and you stopped right there and said, wow, he came up 
many, 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 many years later, and God saw fit to end the Old Testament talking about Elijah, you'd say, well, that's a pretty powerful legacy. That is. And it is. But it's just the beginning of the pretty powerful legacy. So, this prophecy in Malachi that we're referring to is a prophecy of the day of the Lord, which actually comes in two stages, all right? The first is at the time of when Jesus came to earth as the man, as the Messiah, Jesus Christ, uh, to cast judgment upon Israel, pay the ransom price, and to call out or save the true followers of him. And you touched on that when we were talking about who goes to heaven and who doesn't. Right, and we call that the first advent, don't right, we? Right, the first advent. The second stage uh, of this prophecy is at the return of Jesus, and we call that the second advent. And, it, and Jesus returns to cast judgment on the governments and the false religious systems of the world to apply the ransom price and to save all mankind through resurrection and through Judgment Day. Now, we know this. It's done in two stages because Jesus actually explains that to us, especially in the 24th chapter of Matthew, which we're not going into tonight. Right. But we have in the past. So if you want to reference those, 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 those uh, other uh, podcasts, you could certainly do so. We'll put them in Seeker Rewind, the full edition, the, the references to the returning of Jesus and the, the discussions of Matthew uh, chapter 24. And you can see how it's divided into two sections, the time of Jesus and the judgment there, and then the time of the end and the judgment there. So before we go into this prophecy in Malachi, let's notice that our theme text, verse 5, shows Elijah on the scene before the chaos. So Jonathan, just reread Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, our theme scriptures. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Okay, pause right there. Before the coming of the, uh, the great and terrible day of the Lord, I'm going to send you Elijah. Okay, so we'll, we'll pause there. So we, we need to realize that before things really start to unravel badly, Elijah shows up. Now, what does that mean? Does Elijah come back? We'll see. All right, we'll see. So let's go to Malachi chapter 4. Let's, we're going to go through Malachi, the fourth chapter, last chapter of the Old Testament, because it's only six verses. Uh, and it, it, look, folks, it's kind of a deep discussion we're going to have in terms of prophecy. Uh, we want to plow through it because it defines the legacy of Elijah. So we want to plow through this. Uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace. And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So this is a—the day is coming, burning like a furnace. I mean, it sounds like a, a future-time prophecy. But Elijah lived through conditions like this. we got to realize that, remember, all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. Remember what happened when Elijah was, was set up against the 450 prophets of Baal? Yes. They all died. They did. At his hand because he had to prove that God was God. And there was this big standoff, 450 against one, and Elijah prevailed in that. So he saw the arrogant and evildoers literally being reduced to nothing. He saw right. that in, in, in a sense way back in, in early ancient uh, times of Israel. He lived this. But this is a prophecy of the future. It's a prophecy that has a fulfillment at the first advent of Jesus, but it has an even stronger fulfillment 
at the return of Jesus. So what we want to do is go through this Malachi chapter 4, verse by verse, drop in on what happened in Elijah's day, what happened at the time of Jesus when he came to earth as Messiah, and what happens at his return. So in the first advent, Jonathan, remember, AD 70 was the destruction of Israel's national existence for a very, very long time. Yes, it was. That's right. Jesus prophesied that. Matthew 23, 37 and 38. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. So when we look back at the Malachi um, prophecy, Behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and the arrogant and evildoer will be chaffed, there was a massive destruction at that point in time, at that history. And Israel was, was shut down, essentially, as a nation, scattered to the four corners of the earth. And so it's interesting. Jesus gave that prophecy in A.D. 33, and A.D. 70, it took several years for that prophecy to unfold. That's right. But it did unfold. The interesting thing is, the day is coming burning like a furnace. One of the things I want to just side point on that in terms of prophetic interpretation a furnace is a controlled fire. It's not an out-of-control fire. It's not something that is spreading all over. It is a controlled fire. The fire of God's wrath and the destruction of the things that should not be is always controlled under the hand of God. We always need to remember that because it's not this wild, chaotic thing that a lot of times we, we attribute it to being. So Jesus shows us at the first advent when he was here as, as a man— what happened? What was to happen? And uh, so now let's take a look at that Malachi 4.1 uh, in, in terms of the second advent. And let's go to, the fi- and this is the fire of God's indignation against all unrighteousness as the evil systems we mentioned before, the government and the false religious systems, come to an end. Matthew 24, verse 3, is the telling question. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us. When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming or presence and the end of the age? And again, we want to encourage you to look at the the, the podcast we did on the return of Jesus and discussing Matthew 24, because the phraseology of that verse is really important. And so Jesus, in Matthew 24, tells his followers the answers to those three questions. When will these things be? He was talking about the destruction of the temple. What will be the sign of your presence and of the end of the age? He tells them the answers to these things in detail, but in very veiled language. So when we skip down in Matthew 24 to just touch on the verses that really seem to fit in with Malachi 4, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and so forth, we go to Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Okay, so you know when we look at that, we say, okay, well, wait, wait, wait. What has this got to do with legacy? And the answer to this is, understanding this prophecy— Remember in the prophecy it says, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming great and terrible day of the Lord. So it's showing us Elijah, quote, reappearing, unquote. And what we're going to see is he actually reappears two different times. 
Now, is Elijah physically reappearing? We'll see. The point is, this is unfolding his legacy. These are the times when his legacy is going to be shown to be a valuable part of Bible prophecy. You're listening to Christian Questions Live. Talk to us now by calling 866-985-4255 or contact us and leave us a question or leave us a message at ChristianQuestions.com. So now let's go to Malachi 4.2. We looked at Malachi 4.1, the coming day, burning like a furnace, in terms of the first advent and the second advent. Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Elijah lived this as well. Remember when the rain came and there was that victory over, over the, the darkness? There was the rejoicing. Remember later on in life when he was revealed that there were 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal? There, there's this righteousness springing up in Israel. So Elijah saw that to a degree. Well, let's go to the first advent. Let's go to the first time Jesus came uh, again as a man to, to earth. Matthew 5, 935. And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So the, it says in the Malachi prophecy, this, uh, prophecy my name, uh, but for those of you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Jesus came with healing, proclaiming the brightness and the glory of God's kingdom. He was a physical fulfillment at that time of this Malachi prophecy, but not entirely, because he showed a precursor, a glimpse of the kingdom to come. So now we jump to the second advent, the return of Jesus. The fire of destruction is linked with the Son and righteousness by Jesus himself. Now, this gets, we're getting into more prophecy here, and it gets a little bit deeper, but folks, stay with us, because the first advent and the second advent of Jesus both have Elijah present in them. Now, what does that mean? We'll get to, but how does Jesus link the destruction and the Son of Righteousness? Let's look at uh, Matthew 13, 40 to 43. Therefore... Just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom, all stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. So, Jonathan, I don't know that you can say it's a coincidence that he talks about casting them into the furnace of fire, and then he says the righteous will shine forth as the sun. Sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? it? <laughs> that's showing you that there's this prophetic fulfillment that is being shown in this particular prophecy of, of the wheat and the tares. Now, this is a prophecy of the age of the gospel, and when we look at the tares in this prophecy, Jonathan, just quickly, give us a sense. What, what are the tares showing us? What are they representing? Tares represent false uh, Christian systems, Rick. Okay, so it's, it's false systems, not individuals, because no. this is throughout the entire gospel age, this, this whole period of time in this prophecy, so it's false Christian systems. The wheat then represents what? Well, true Christians. Okay. 
So not individuals themselves, but right. groups, groups of true, true followers. What we would call the true Church of Christ throughout the entire gospel age. So we've got the false systems growing along with the true, and the false are overwhelming the true and seeming to choke them out, but they're allowed to grow together until such a time as that, that the systems will be rooted out and destroyed. Perfect. So that is showing us the fulfillment of the Malachi prophecy. And again, Elijah is lurking somewhere in the background here, because in that Malachi prophecy, it says, before the big, big trouble, Elijah shows up. Now again, what does it mean that Elijah shows up? We'll see. Elijah himself was sent to warn and save Israel, yet his mission was to reflect a major role in the warning and saving of all mankind. See, that was his legacy. He came to warn and save Israel at the time in which he lived, but his legacy was about warning and saving all of mankind. So the work that he did was like a little peanut in compared to what his work truly meant. So what's legacy lesson number three? A powerful and godly legacy is reflected by applying your own personal experience to much bigger events than you personally experience. So, and, and Jonathan, I think that's such an important way to look at this. A powerful and godly legacy is reflected by our personal experiences showing something much bigger than we could ever personally do. And again, the question we want to ask you is what kind of legacy are you leaving in your life? Because like it or not, you're leaving one. We have to understand that because we all leave one, we got to decide, am I contributing to it or just letting it happen arbitrarily? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is Elijah Part 3, The Power of Legacy. Coming up, does Elijah actually come back as himself to fulfill his legacy? That's next. And you know, that's an important question. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Elijah, Part 3, The Power of Legacy. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. We want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so as we continue here, we are looking at—we're finally going to get into that question. Does Elijah actually come back uh, or to fulfill his legacy, or is it, is it something else? But before we go down that road, let's talk about pink shoes again. Oh, boy. <laughs> our favorite subject, Well, right? <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's, it really is one of our favorite lessons from tonight, is the lesson of legacy that we leave to those around us, those that we love, whether we think of it or not, or whether we like it or not, we all leave a legacy. This is a TED Talk from Minky Haveman, uh, and it's called The Importance of Leaving a Legacy. This is a picture of me and my mom. 
it's a selfie before they were called selfies. <laughs> and we're sitting at the airport, waiting for a plane to take us to our last family day. It's taken two weeks after she bought me these shoes. And you might see smiling women in the camera. I see something different. I see myself three months pregnant with my first child, and I see my mother with a death sentence called very aggressive tumor, not treatable. We knew this was going to be our last holiday, and we knew I was going to be a mom while losing my own mom. So two months after this picture was taken, I wore these shoes to our cremation with proud. So the, this last gift was uh, carried through in the last holiday they took together, and then two months later, her mom is, has died. And she's left all of a sudden with this emptiness and this feeling of yearning for a legacy that she felt like she didn't have enough of. And that's what drove her to give this particular TED Talk and to really work on helping people to understand the need and the power of personal legacy. So again, folks, the question is, we all leave a legacy. What is your legacy? Do you ever think about what it is? Because you really should. So Jonathan, there's a question came in from the app uh, from Dearborn, Michigan. And it says, okay, Jesus says that John the Baptist is the greatest prophet. Yet, those in the kingdom of heaven are greater than him. Why? And where does that leave Elijah? All right, because we're making this big deal about Elijah being like, whoa, but John the Baptist is the greatest prophet, but he's not as great as those in the kingdom. Like, well, how does this all work? It's a great question where you're going to try to unfold the answer to that as we go through this. So I'm going to keep it right in front of me so I don't forget and we'll bring it, uh, bring it out. But thanks. Folks, keep the questions coming in. Keep the comments coming in because it's really important to hear from you. I had another comment uh, from the, um, I think it was from the chat board here, that said that, uh, interestingly, and we're going to get to this later on, Moses is the second to last person mentioned in the Old Testament, and Elijah is the last person mentioned in the Old Testament. And both Moses and Elijah are with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. And Neat. yes, it's all connected. Yes, it's all un, undeniably connected in a very powerful way. We're actually going to get into that in great detail in the second hour. So, Jonathan, now Ma- Malachi chapter 4. Remember, we're going through Malachi 4 because it's showing us a prophecy of the future that has a f- smaller fulfillment at the first advent of Jesus and a larger fulfillment at the second advent of Jesus, both of which have Elijah appearing. And we'll show that as we go through this. Malachi 4, we're up to verse 3. And you will tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. All right. And again, Elijah lived that. You will tread down the wicked. That's what Elisha did. Elijah did. He stood against and battled and beat the wicked. He lived that in his life. But this is something that would be lived in the life uh, at, at the time of Jesus' first advent in a small way and in a big way at the time of Jesus' return. So let's go to the first advent of Jesus, Matthew 10, verses 26, and then we're going to skip to verse 28. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. And do not fear those who will kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, 
but rather fear him as able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. All right, and Gehenna is a symbol of utter destruction. That's and, right, it even says that here in verse 28. Right. Destroy. Right, it, it, it tells you what it's talking about. Exactly. But, but the point is that the Malachi verse says you'll tread down the wicked. In other words, there's victory over the wicked. And we see the victory over the wicked in the early church, especially at the time of Jesus. When, when, when Jesus was, uh, was, um, was here and he called his, his, the apostles and there were the disciples and then there was Pentecost and then the Holy Spirit came, that was all as a result of Jesus' uh, first advent. And that was victory over the wicked. It was victory over death because it was the establishment of the heavenly call. That's what Jesus set up at his first advent. He set up victory over the wicked, absolutely positively. Now, in the second advent, and you know, that's the first answer to this uh, app question about why are those in the kingdom of heaven greater than John? John the Baptist was a prophet of God in the style of Old Testament prophets. He came before the begettal of the Holy Spirit. Now, he worked through God's Spirit, because the Scripture says that when he was even in his mother's womb, remember, he was filled with the Spirit. But yes. he, he was not begotten of the Spirit, and did not, as a result, have that heavenly calling. So though, He also died before Jesus' sacrifice on right, the cross. Right. So before those reasons, he fulfilled his work wonderfully— just like the rest of the prophets. They will have a wonderful reward, but it's different than those after Jesus. That's the reason why it says the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Where does that leave Elijah? We'll get to that in a, in a minute. Let's go now to the second advent. Again, with Malachi 4.3, treading down the wicked, they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day on which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. In the second advent, let's go to another prophecy in Daniel 7.27. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. So now, Jonathan, in this verse, it's further emphasizing what we were just trying to explain about the differences in those who follow Jesus. That's right. Jesus and the saints from heaven over the earth, over the nations and the peoples, they'll have dominion over the earthly kingdom. So they, they have a higher role than anybody else ever revealed in Scripture. That's right. And they are with Jesus. And, and again, Jesus gives that promise very clearly and eloquently, especially in John uh, 14. You know, in my Father's house are many mansions and so forth. I go to prepare a place for you. So... Now let's, let's move on. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and the ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Now, Elijah lived this because, remember, he was bringing people back to the law of Moses. He was bringing them back to what they were delivered to, the law given by Moses, the deliverer. So, this verse, Malachi 4.4, I think is a transition verse that Malachi writes as an encouragement as he's closing his prophecy. Now remember, there's two verses left, and then the Old Testament goes dark, okay? He is just told of the coming day of the Lord, and now he says, look, remember what the law of Moses stands for. 
He says this because there's going to be no more prophets on the scene for the next 400 years. Wow. Not until the time of the arrival of Jesus. So you've got this transition verse, and it brings up Moses, another incredibly important figure that we will see in the second hour, and says, the law of Moses, that's what you go to. That's what you've got. That's what's important to you here at this point in time. We welcome all comments or questions. Even if you disagree with us, give us a call. We're live at 866-985-4ALL. That's 866-985-4255. So that's a transition. And now we get into those final verses that are the theme of uh, today's podcast. So Jonathan, again, let's go through those verses one more time. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. Okay, so we've been reading this verse again and again, and we're talking about legacy, and we're talking about this deep prophecy, and you're going, come on, too much already. (laughs) And and look, I get it, it really is. But if you want to get the power of the legacy of Elijah— You've got to be able to wade through some of these deeper things to understand how significant his life was, his work was, and his name was. So the last two verses of the entire Old Testament describe Elijah by name and his work. His work is described, restoring the hearts uh, of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That was the work of Elijah. We saw him do that with limited success way, way back in history, and those are the last words of the Old Testament. So, let's go to the first advent of Jesus. Let's go to the appearance of Elijah. Really? Really, in Jesus' time. The prophecy of the birth of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1. Now, Luke chapter 1. Again, one of the very first chapters of the New Testament, verses 15 to 17. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Okay, let me interrupt you just one more second, Jonathan, because I should have set this up better. This is the angel speaking to Zacharias in the temple, describing the son that he and Elizabeth are going to have. And his, this is he's describing John the Baptist. So start again. I apologize. I didn't set it up correctly. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So you have John the Baptist being described as coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. Wow. And cool. and to make it even better, the angel quotes the last verse of the Old Testament. That's amazing wow. to me. That it, is. You can't link the old and new any more firmly than through John the Baptist being Elijah or being in the spirit and power of Elijah. So that's good. I mean, if you've got the angel Gabriel telling you that, okay, you're, John the Baptist is coming in the spirit and power of Elijah, that should be a pretty good indication that's what's going to happen. Yeah, his dad must have felt pretty 
happy about this he, news. It would have been an amazing thing. And remember, he even had doubts because, like, how can this even be? Jesus himself proclaims John the Baptist as being in the spirit and power of Elijah. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 10, and then verses 13 and 14. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. I will prepare your way before you. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah, who was to come. So Jesus himself is saying, this is the one about whom it was written. And he quotes a prophecy in Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. That's exactly the other thing that the angel Gabriel said. He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to be preparing things. So the angel Gabriel was sent with the prophecy of Malachi in mind to Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, and Jesus is now repeating it, saying, he was the guy. He's the one that was spoken of at the very end of the Old Testament. He is the one. He's the last words of God for the last 400 years. Pay attention. His work is cr- pretty, pretty amazing. So again, when, J- when Jesus says, John is the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, you can see why. Because he is the absolute highest fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies of which Elijah set the, the, the form. John, wow, they're <laughs> yeah, connected. They are. They're, they're inexorably connected. You can't separate the two because their work is so incredibly powerful. Did you, did you uh, want to add something? Well, right? Go ahead. Well, no, I think you explained it well that he's in the spirit of Elijah. It's not literally Elijah. Okay. And, and spirit I, and power. Right? Right, right. Because that's what the angel said. And Jesus says, well, he is Elijah. And that's what Jesus is meaning. And that's an important factor. No, it's not Elijah back from the dead. It is the spirit, the power, the message of Elijah. So with John the Baptist, remember it was said that, you know, he was filled with God's spirit even in his mother's womb. That's right. Elijah was probably the same way. They had that same wildness to them, that same, that same uh, uh, loneliness about them, and that same incredible power that they brought. They commanded respect wherever they went because their, their power was so great for, for God. So now both Elijah and John met with measured success, but not total success. Why? Because the work of Elijah was a work in stages. It would eventually prevail, but not yet. And that's the power of legacy. Legacies take time to unfold. So let's now go Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Remember, we're talking about Elijah being on the scene and so forth, to the second advent. Jesus hints that Elijah's work was not completed with John the Baptist. Now, it's a hint, but it's certainly very clear. John 17, verses 10 to 13. Matthew 17. Oh, right, I, I knew that. Matthew 17. I got John the Baptist on my mind, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them about John the Baptist. Now, 
So the disciples understood that they spoke to him about John the Baptist because he says, Elijah already came and he was not recognized. Now, again, it wasn't Elijah physically in the flesh. It was in the spirit and power of Elijah. The angel explained that. But Jesus, before he began talking about John the Baptist, said something different. What was it that he said that was different? Well, Rick, he said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. So now think about this. Elijah originally came back in the Old Testament, did a work of restoring, met with measured success. Correct. John the Baptist comes in the New Testament to pave the road for Jesus and does work of restoring, meets with some success, but only in a measured sense. Correct. Jesus says here, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. That's no measure of success. That's complete. That's complete. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get to the second hour to see how that's going to work. But that brings us to our last legacy lesson for the first hour. Legacy lesson for Jonathan, what is it? A powerful and godly legacy in God's hand serves as a template for future events. And that is such a great thing to get into your head. Your life, if you live it in a godly fashion, can be a template toward future events. It can show how God works in others. It can show the power and the goodness and the strength and the might of God's work and God's word working in an average human life. Look, that's what Elijah was. That's what John the Baptist was. And now in the second hour, we have to look and see who Elijah is representative of and how their lives add to the legacy of Elijah himself. For Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back in just a minute to get into how does Elijah actually restore all things. You say, I thought it would be Jesus. Well, hang on, it all fits together. So we'll be back in a moment, but till then, think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know your thoughts about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Download the app. Uh, and, and remember, new program coming next week. But we're not done with this week. So hang on. There's so much more to come. Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Benjamin Disraeli once said, The legacy of heroes is the memory of a great name and the inheritance of a great example. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we've got a pretty heavy subject on the table tonight, but I'll tell you, to me, it's just a thoroughly exciting and energizing kind of subject. What are we talking about? You're right, Rick. Today's episode is Elijah Part 3, The Power of Legacy. And our theme text is found in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, 
lest I come and smite the land with a curse. So tonight we're talking about legacy. We're talking about the power of legacy, what it means, and the role that we play in leaving our own legacies. Jonathan, do you, do you ever think about your own legacy? I really don't, Rick. Um, and I was thinking with, with mistakes I've made, I hope they aren't the result of my future legacy. Um, so you do think about it. Well, but I, I don't think of it that way, but <laughs> right. I just, you know, bringing reproach against my Heavenly Father for my stupidity, that would be an awful legacy to leave. <laughs> right. So, but so the, uh, what you strive for then is the opposite of that. Exactly. To bring glory to your yes, Heavenly Father. you got it. So you do think about your legacy. You just don't see it in those words or in that format because you're thinking, when, they, when, when my lights get clicked out, am I going to be able to be remembered as bringing glory to God? And that's what you want, right? Exactly. That so, is my goal in life. So, so there, there's nothing, folks, look, there's nothing prideful about thinking about that, about I want to be remembered as one who really loved God and tried to do everything to further his plan. That's our legacy. That's what we should be striving for. That's the beauty of legacy. And Elijah had that through and through in his character. Let's quickly touch on the first four legacy lessons uh, from the first hour, Jonathan. The more clearly defined one's direction in life is, the more un understandable and inspirational one's legacy becomes. If your life is clear and defined, your legacy is easy to get. Elijah's obedient and godly character was summed up in simply writing the will of God, a powerful and godly legacy transcends any physical presence. If your legacy is true and powerful to God, you don't even need to, to have your presence to bring that legacy. It, it, it travels beyond it. A powerful and godly legacy is reflected by applying your own personal experience to much bigger events than you personally experienced. Elijah had very powerful personal experiences, but his legacy shows immense experiences that, could, that were beyond one individual. That's how big his legacy was. And what was the last lesson from the first hour? A powerful and godly legacy in God's hands serves as a template for future events. And that's the key. Godly legacies serve as a template for future events. So, Jonathan, in your desire to bring praise to God, that let's say you are faithful to that and that is your legacy. That's a template for other people to follow. That's saying, wow, look at what he did. I want to do it the way he did because he was oh so imperfect. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and, but, but look at how he strove against that imperfection. That's a wonderful legacy, folks. We need to think about the legacy we're going to be leaving. So let's go back to that uh, little bit of, of inspirational um, legacy elements that we were getting from Leave Your Legacy Fellowship Stories. This is uh, those, those stories uh, part two here. Legacies can be found in tattered souls and wrinkles aged with wisdom. They make their way to empty rooms and trailing heartbeats. They find their way into the back of our minds, sit with us, lingering, waiting to be remembered. Found in humbled homes, inherited mansions, and tin-roofed rooms, 
Legacies extend past the limited hours of your life and mine. Where have you seen them? Where have you taken them in? Legacies are everywhere, Jonathan. They're everywhere. Folks, what does your legacy look like right now? And if you look at what you think it looks like, are you looking at it and saying, wow, that's a great legacy? Or are you saying, oh, man, what have I done? <laughs> really, this is, this is as much of a, a, a prophetic program as this is, it's a wake-up call to make sure that we are really focusing on the power of legacy in our own lives so that we can bring glory and honor to God through Jesus with every breath of our life. So let's get back to that final question from the first hour, Jonathan, about Elijah restoring all things. I mean, he worked at it when he was alive in, in, in the form of John the Baptist. It wasn't Elijah, but, you know, John in the spirit and power of Elijah worked at it but wasn't able to, to accomplish it. But Jesus says he's going to restore all things. Again, let's go back to that verse. Um, let's requote it, Matthew 17, 10 and 11. And his disciples asked him, saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. All right. So Elijah now is going to be is shown as appearing three times. And there's something powerful about the three-time experience, Jonathan, because it shows a whole experience. A complete right. experience. Yes. The third is in the guise of true Christians. But when? When does this third appearance of Elijah come? And it's not as a single person, but in the guise of true Christianity. And it's at the second presence of Jesus. Acts 3, 19 to 21. Listen carefully to this verse. Repent ye therefore and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that so there may come seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who hath both appointed for you, even Jesus, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, whereof God spake by the mouth of his holy prophets that have been from of old. So it talks about there may come seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, and then it says that Jesus needed to be retained in heaven until the times of restoration of all things. Now, it says Elijah is coming and will restore all things. And Jesus returns at the time of restoration of all things. Well, what was lost? What was lost was earthly perfection. What was lost was earthly paradise. What was lost was earthly life in harmony with God. That's what was lost. That's what Jesus bought back. And in the process of buying that back, those who would follow him, he gave a higher stronger and better way to live so they could be uh, his helpers, if you will, in bringing the world back to what was lost. And that is shown in this next verse, which really helps us to understand the role of true Christians at the second presence of Jesus. Uh, and this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Um, yeah, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so what we have is the, the application 
of restoration given to the true followers of Christ. It says, He has given us the ministry of reconciliation restoring, to reconcile, to restore all things. Uh, but this is not before the, the, they fulfill the legacy uh, role of Elijah as John the Baptist did. On the scene, before the judgment of, um, of the systems of this world and the religious systems and so forth, and representing the returned Lord Jesus. So uh, at this point, we are going to go to a call. Uh, I believe we have Julius on the line from Connecticut. Good day, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Uh, to you and Jonathan and the whole team, I appreciate you. You are a breath of fresh air in a chaotic, troubled world. Well, thank you. God bless. Thank you. Uh, one scripture I'd like to share with you on the subject of legacy. It's, it's one it just it's special to me. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. If I may just read it. Go ahead. Uh, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness, and that he was right, that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and now here's here's the sentence. Okay, uh, it says the. The essence here is that uh, he offered a more able, offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than, than Cain, and God considered him righteous. But here's the part that uh, goes to legacy. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you, Julius. We appreciate your call and, and the scripture and putting those things uh, in perspective for us because it's such an important um, thing to uh, be working with. So good scripture, uh, and, and again, it is legacy that we're talking about. It's the legacy of making it all work uh, in relation to um, how God works his plans out. And Elijah is such a powerful, powerful picture of what legacy is uh, in our lives uh, and, and in action in every way. So we see that the true Christian church at the time of the return of Jesus— and, and folks, look— Jesus returns long before, and we're not going to get into the details on this, but we just want to mention it, long before most of us think he returns. Because we all see this, you know, you look at the prophecy, you say he's going to descend from heaven with a shout, and everybody in the world is going to look up and see him. No, actually, that's all symbolic. All right? The return of Jesus, if you carefully read Matthew 24, when Jesus is describing the time of trouble, he's saying, when all these things happen, I'm already there because he returns as a thief in the night. And what we see is his return grows in strength and in revealment to a point where everybody will see him. So it's a process. His return is not a moment. It's a process. The key is that the true Christian church, those who truly are following him, will be on the scene, if you will, at the time of that return and be proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and be doing what Elijah Elijah's work was trying to bring the people back, fathers back to the children, children back to the fathers, because the gospel brings back, like you said, Jonathan, that which was lost. That's, That's what right. it's all about. That's what it's all about. So again, let's go one more time to our theme scripture, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children 
and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. Okay, so again, we've read that scripture many times tonight, but we really want to understand that this is a time prophecy of the end times, and now Elijah is not in the form of a person, but in form of the body of Christ at a specific time. And Rick, we need to stand up, speak out, and stick to godly principles only, right? Right. We should not be following any false systems into their own demise. Look, there is one God. Men die. These, look, these are the basic doctrine, doctrine, doctrinal teachings of the early church. Uh, all are purchased by Jesus' ransom, not just a few. This is what was taught in the early church. These are the things we should be speaking out for and be standing up for here and now, because now is the time. We have, we have work to do. The Lord has given us work to do, and it's no less important now than it was at the time of the apostles. So, Jonathan, that brings us to uh, our next legacy lesson, legacy lesson number five. A powerful and godly legacy will overshadow the original experiences and events to bring even greater praise and honor to God. So, and, and let, let's put that in the perspective of regular everyday lives. When you think of people in your life, Jonathan, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, I asked you, you know, about your own legacy, and then you had mentioned legacies of some others. That's right. I was thinking, Rick, especially of my mother-in-law. What a, a wonderful Christian example she was to me. She lived with us for several, several years, and she was a pillar of hospitality, of generosity, of help, helping people any way she could. And I was just in awe of her life. And she was inspirational to so many, even on her deathbed, hospice helpers, um, the, the nurses. They came to her funeral because the impact that she gave them of her faith and trust in the Lord and she was going to be with him soon, and this is not a sad time. And she was amazing, Rick. And, and you think of that example all the time. I do indeed. And you find it inspirational even now. Absolutely. And she passed away several years ago. Oh, yes. yes. And, and it's still with you. Yes, and it still that's feeds for sure. You. See, that's what a legacy is. And, 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 and the important thing, look, Jonathan, did, did your mother-in-law go through life saying, okay, I'm going to do this so I can build my legacy? No way. <laughs> she was selfless. <laughs> and that's the point. The point is when I say to you folks, think about your legacy. What, what we're trying to say is think about what your life is, is amounting to, is looking like at this moment. And when you look at it, do you say, wow, that's, a, that, that's an example of, of, of someone trying to be faithful? Or do you say, or that's an example of somebody who's just mediocre? Or do you say, that's an example of someone who's not trying very hard? Whatever it is, that's a legacy. We just got a, a comment in from the app, which fits in very well with this. This is from uh, San Francisco. It says, it seems that we should uh, not do anything because we want a good legacy. We should serve God simply because it's the right thing to do. Let God worry about our legacy. Amen. Yes, let him worry about <laughs> it. But don't lose sight of the fact that your actions and your thoughts and your words create it. Don't lose sight of that and use that as a motivation. You know, the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. 
So this, this all adds up toward the, the, the same end. And, and, and Jonathan, let's diverge, because Elijah's example was so powerful in so many ways. What other ways has Elijah's legacy been followed? One thing, he was a great, powerful example of prayer, and that's shown to us in James 5, 16 to 20. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. So it gave you a sense that Elijah prayed earnestly. It wasn't that he just said, oh, God told me it's not going to rain, so I'm just going to see that it doesn't rain, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Elijah worked at doing what God had said for him to do. He prayed earnestly, and the rains were held back for three years and six months. Then let's finish the verses. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth uh, pro- produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So again, and he prayed again. So it gives you a sense that Elijah's life was more than just the prophetic part. It was the actual practical part. And that's important. Also, Jonathan, just one correction. That last comment I read wasn't from San Francisco, California. It was actually from Chicago, Illinois. Sorry about that. Right. But uh, the point is Elijah's legacy was a big thing, and the practical parts of his life were just as much a part of his legacy. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is Elijah, Part 3, The Power of Legacy. Coming up, how easy would it be to misapply Elijah's legacy? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Elijah Part 3, The Power of Legacy. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Out from the dark ages, errors from the past, and into the light of today, the original good news. Join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. All right. So, Jonathan, the, the, the discussion of legacy has got to be, in my mind, a transforming conversation. Again, it's not like, hey, what am I doing to make my legacy great? That's not the point. You, you, look. When my, when, when, when my eyes closed for the last time, I want to be remembered as somebody who loved God with his whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. I don't care if anybody remembers my name. Just that guy that, that over, always interrupted Jonathan. <laughs> he loved God. And see, to me, it's my, my, I want my legacy to be Jesus Christ the righteous and the ransom for all to be testified in due time. That's, that's to me, that's why we should be focusing on how we doing with our legacy. Are we actually living what we say we want to be living? Because that's what's going to be our legacy, is what we're actually doing, not what we're thinking about. So this is such an important thing. And it's really easy to misapply some of the powerful parts of legacy. 
you know, we're talking about how you can say, yeah, I want it to be my legacy and all that. Well, the apostles had a hard time with one part of Elijah's life in terms of trying to show how big and tough they were. Uh, and <laughs> uh, so let's take a look at this because Elijah is mentioned several times in the New Testament, and it's usually as a powerful example to follow. Usually, except for this one time here in Luke 9, 51 to 56. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So the Samaritans had some Jewish heritage in them. There was a lot of rivalry, and because they wanted to pass through uh, this particular town uh, on their way to, um, to Jerusalem, they said, no, if you're going there, we don't want you to come here. So they, they worshiped the Lord on the mountains or anywhere they chose, and they felt it was being close to the Lord wherever you are, and they didn't put any weight to Jerusalem. Right, right. And so they were just saying, you know, you, you don't do things our way, so we don't want you passing through our town if you're heading there. Now the yep. disciples were miffed. The apostles were miffed at this. So <laughs> here's what happens. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> but he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. So the, <laughs> so the response is, well, hey, remember when Elijah, you know, had fire come down and, and the, 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 the soldiers the 50, in the groups of 50s were all, you know, consumed up? Lord, you want us to do that? We'll show them <laughs> who's boss. Uh, it was a misapplication of great power. And isn't that what always seems to happen? You have great power shown by a great prophet. And we love to take the most powerful parts of it and say, let me show you what I've got. And that is so incredibly wrong. And if you want a bad legacy, keep going down that path. Uh, sometimes we get caught up in the drama of life and forget its true mission. And I'll tell you, Jonathan, nominal Christianity, those who are Christian in name only, who focus on the great and powerful things— and try to make their, their mission and their work around those things and money, they're doing what the apostles did here. They're trying to show themselves as great miracle workers, as great this and great that, when in fact, a true follower of Christ is not great at all. They are humble, and the greatness comes from the grace of God in their lives. And Rick, these apostles need to, needed to have their heads focused, because Jesus didn't forget his true mission. Right. He put them right on track and, and with his words. Right, and that's the point. He said no, he rebuked them, and they moved on. And they thought, oh, I guess we shouldn't do that anymore. Right, <laughs> because it's not in line with the will of God. Let's go back to the story with the pink shoes from Minky uh, Haver uh, Haverman, this TED Talk, The Importance of Leaving a Legacy, and she's talking about now her personal legacy. With this experience... I try to collect my legacy of my life for my daughter. She's four years old now. <laughs> and this may sound like I'm living with death in the back of my head, but I'm not. I'm living a pretty happy life and I get caught up with everyday, everyday stuff like all of you. I just sit down every once in a while and try to collect my memories and my experiences and put them in words, in little stories so she will know why she should never ever throw these shoes away 
and why this picture of me and my mom at the airport is so important to me. So she will know how proud I am of her and that she is the love of my life. Because she is entitled to that. She's entitled to a rich legacy. And everyone is. And, and Jonathan, I think there's, there's great power in that. Everyone is entitled to a rich legacy. And, and if we can understand the importance of being able to uh, relay the stories from generation to generation about inspirational things, like your mother-in-law, you know, is a great example. I think of my, my grandmother and her tirelessness in, 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 in trying to serve God any way she possibly could, pretty much till she died at 98 years old. You know, and you think of that tirelessness. My dad was the same way. He had one focus in his life and one focus only till the day he died. I mean, when he was the day before he died and, and he, he didn't really communicate with anybody. He was just sort of shouting out hymns as he was, you know, dying. And it just it was an amazing thing when you see this. That's a legacy. We want to be able to transfer those stories because they're the power of where we come from. And if we can transfer the Christian legacy stories, those are the best to transfer. So great, great reminders from this TED Talk from Minky uh, Haveman. Legacy lesson six from what the apostles did wrong with the legacy of Elijah. A powerful and godly legacy must be clearly understood and emulated for it can be easily applied to that which is not godly. It's just like we always talk about when we read the scriptures, we want to take them all in context. If you take an experience out of context, you can easily apply it to that which is not godly, and that is not the direction we ought to ever be going. Uh, Jonathan, we had a, um, a call come in. They didn't want to go on the air, but they asked a question. Will the true followers of Christ, the true church, will their legacy be used to, tell, to help others in the future? And I think absolutely positively, yes, that's the point of this. When the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, it is a present-day example of what the ministry of reconciliation will be for the whole world. It is a group of individuals in their faithfulness who can say, I went through this thing and that thing just like you. I know where you are. Look at, look at the example of what overcoming means. And Rick, that reminded me of Revelation 3, 5, the book of life. That will be a testament of the faithful followers of Jesus to the world in seeing the sacrifice and the love and dedication to the Lord and why they were chosen to be special in helping Jesus. Right. So, yes, and that's why we need to think about what does the legacy look like? Again, not from the standpoint of saying, wow, I'm, I'm creating such a great legacy, but from the standpoint of saying, Am I, in my daily words and actions and thoughts and example, bringing glory to God, or am I just kind of hanging out? Because either one is a legacy. This is Christian Questions, your weekly live podcast to help you think about the Bible like you never have before. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or call us now at 866-985-4255. All right, so Jonathan, as we begin to wrap this portion of, of the, the discussion of Elijah up, we see Elijah personally and symbolically as a very important figure in Scripture. Uh, there, there are several points here. What's, what's the first one? A voice of God's will. Right. He always voiced the will of God. A wielder of God's great power. He was able to manage the responsibility of the power of God and use it the way it was supposed to be used. 
an example of courage and submission. You can get incredibly inspired by his courage and incredibly humbled by his submission. The preparer of the way of the Lord at Jesus' first advent, John the Baptist. So the example of Elijah was the one who prepared the way of the Lord Jesus at his first advent, and that was John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel told us that specifically. The preparer of the way of the Lord at Jesus' second advent, the true church of Jesus. And again, we get that from Scripture as the true church being given the ministry of reconciliation, and when it comes at the time of restoration of all things, this restoration and reconciliation work exactly together. An example of the prayers of the righteous. Elijah in his physical life was a great example of the prayers of the righteous. And lastly, Rick, a builder of a powerful legacy. And again, Elijah didn't go through his days saying, I wonder what my legacy is going to look like today. It didn't even enter his mind. The legacy he built was his name. Jehovah is God. That was the, 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 the purpose the single purpose of his life. So he built a powerful legacy, not because he was trying to build a legacy, but by way of proclaiming to the world around him at every turn, when it was appropriate, that Jehovah is God, follow him. Jonathan, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the power of his legacy to this point is, to me, it's breathtaking. I mean... <laughs> I don't know if you could tell, but me, I'm, I'm already exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> because, but what an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, the example, as good as it is, gets even better. <laughs> there's, there's one more thing we have to cover about the legacy and the power of the life of Elijah. And we have sort of been um, alluding to it. And, and as we go into this, the next, the next point we're going to get into is the Mount, the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. There's three different accounts of the Mount of Transfiguration. This is a stunning example of the legacy of Elijah. So I just want to go back before we get into this to the app comment that said, okay, well, where does this leave Elijah? And I hope that thus far where it leaves Elijah is he is part of the representation of John the Baptist. He is part of the representation of the true church at the second advent of Jesus. He was there when he was there. So where does it leave him? In a position of incredible honor and a position of incredible power in the carrying out of the will of God. So in the kingdom, okay, when all are resurrected and Elijah and John the Baptist are having a conversation do you think Elijah's going to say to John the Baptist, so, Jesus called you the greatest prophet among men, not me? I don't think that conversation's <laughs> going to happen, Rick. He's going to say, brother. That's right. <laughs> there is going to be this incredible understanding between the two of them, how they played such an important role in the bringing about of God's plan. Rank does not matter. You know, I, I just think that that's a, a powerful thing. So, so the Mount of Transfiguration, Jonathan, um, 
there are three accounts. It's Matthew 17, 1 to 13, Mark 9, 2 to 13, and Luke 9, 28 to 36. What we attempted to do was combine all three accounts. We're not going to tell you which one we're reading from because we're going to bounce from one to another to try to add in all the details. To, and we tried to make it into this kind of a flowing account of the Mount of Transfiguration. So we're reading from Matthew, Mark, and Luke simultaneously and combined. So let's get started with this Mount of Transfiguration because this is the most stunning conclusion of the life and legacy of Elijah. And some eight days after these sayings, it came about that he took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, he was transfigured before them. The appearance of his face became different, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Okay, so first of all, um, he goes up to this mountain with Peter, James, and John. And you see those three apostles appear frequently uh, in throughout throughout the New Testament, throughout the, the walking with Jesus, because they, they hold a special a special role here. So he goes up and it says he's transfigured before them. All right. Now first of all, this was a vision. All right. We want to we want we want to clarify that this was a vision. All right. It was a vision of something very very powerful and something very very spiritual. Uh, but what does it mean when it says he was transfigured? That means to transform, uh, figuratively metamorphose. Yeah, so, and it's interesting, the only other two times that this particular word is used in the New Testament is speaking of earthly to spiritual transformation. One of the times we're not going to read it is 2 Corinthians 3.18. But the other time that this word for transformed or transfigured is used is one that we are all very familiar with, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed. It doesn't mean just sort of slide over to spiritual thinking. It doesn't mean just kind of ease back on your earthly thinking. To be transformed is to be changed to something spiritual. Don't just hang around in the in-between, be changed. And so when it says Jesus was transformed before them in this vision, he was no longer a human being. There was something spiritual about him, and it was different than what he was. Okay? So that's where this, uh, this, this uh, well, that's what transformation or transfiguration means. He was transfigured. And so they're in this vision, and it says his face, he was transfigured, uh, the appearance of his face became different. His face shone like the sun. I mean, talk about the radiance and the brightness. His garments were so white that it was beyond any white that they could even imagine. So you have this incredible brightness. And again, it reminds me of the prophecy in, in Malachi about the sun of righteousness. This yes. incredible <laughs> brightness here. So let's continue with reading through the account from Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses. Aha! The two of them show up. <laughs> and they were talking with Jesus, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And it came about, as they were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, 
it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So what happens is Elijah and Moses appear talking with Jesus. And it says that, you know, Jesus was in between them, and they're talking about what he's going to accomplish at Jerusalem. And now Peter, and it says they had, they had fallen asleep, and then they woke up, and, you know, again, they see this vision before them. And, and look, yeah, I, I wouldn't know what to say if you, you wake up and you see this. It's like, what is going on? And, and so, so they're startled. They're startled. We're going to see that in the next segment. And so, you know, Peter, being the spokesman, said, well, it's good for, for us, you know, to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You wonder, okay, I always wondered, well, how did they know it was Moses, and how did they know it was Elijah? They didn't have any pictures. I was wondering that. Did they have name tags? Yeah, they may have had name tags. <laughs> <laughs> Or it could have been by what they were saying or, you know, how they were dressed because Elijah dressed in a very specific way. Who knows? But it was a marvelous, marvelous vision. And I think that's that's the key. And so we see Elijah again appear in this incredible part of what's now becoming greater and greater examples of his particular uh, legacy of his life. And Jonathan, I just want to read a comment that came from uh, Hamden, Connecticut. It says, legacy comes from your family, right? We take Jesus' name. We are children of God, his Father, Jesus' Father, and ours. If we take Jesus' name, we should make sure we leave a legacy worthy of him as an ambassador of Christ. And that's the point of a legacy. It's handed down through generations. It is not to say, I'm so good. It is to say, I tried really hard to represent he who is so good. He, Beautiful. That, it's a family thing, and that's such an important part of what legacy is and how we should really be focusing on legacy uh, in our lives. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is Elijah Part 3, The Power of Legacy. Coming up, if you perceive such an incredible vision, how would you react? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Elijah, Part 3, The Power of Legacy. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866 866- 985 for all, or you can message us on your app. The conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook, tweet us at CQNetRadio, and we're now on Instagram. So, final segment of today's podcast, and we're now in at the Mount of Transfiguration, the most, uh, no pun intended, but glowing uh, report of the legacy of Elijah, and we've seen that the description of Jesus as being exactly that glowing at this case. And so the, Peter, when they see this vision, he says, well, uh, I, I don't know what we should, well, we'll build tabernacles for you. We'll, you know, we'll, 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 we'll commemorate this moment because it's such an important thing. I mean, so, and, and how, why does he say that? Well, let's continue reading through the account. For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, 
and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. So you have, it sounds like it's a relatively brief vision, and then there's this cloud that comes over them, and then out of this cloud comes this voice, and it's, you know, a representation of the voice of God. This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. So now this heavenly proclamation seems to have been the, the primary audible testimony here, and unequivocally focuses all the attention on Jesus as the centerpiece of God's glorious plan. You know, in, in the vision, it says that, that Elijah and Moses and Jesus were talking. There's no recollection of specific words, but there was conversation. But these words are told to us because these words from this cloud, which was a terrifying experience for those three apostles, these words summed up exactly the reason for this particular vision and for what would be for the, the, the lives, for the legacies of, of, of those three apostles and all followers of Jesus. So they're afraid now. And, and, you know, because Jesus is the centerpiece, this is too much, and sometimes witnessing such glory can be too much for mere mortals, and we, and we, and we cower in fear because we don't know what else to do. So what happens? And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man should rise from the dead. And they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead might mean. So the... They're not getting it. Now, think about it. You had this incredible vision, and you're probably going to want to say something. You say something, Jonathan, you're not going to believe what I just saw. Don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah, don't say, <laughs> don't say a word until, until the appropriate time. And they obeyed, and they obeyed. And again, it was so far beyond them at that moment. But that's the way God often works. He gives experiences that are beyond the individuals at the moment, but the meaning of the experience comes through later on, and it's the application of the meaning of the experience that actually creates the legacy of the individual, not necessarily the experience itself. Sometimes they come at different times, but again, it's a great legacy lesson. So let's try to figure out, and this, and this is admittedly difficult, Jonathan, but let's try to figure out what this vision was for the purpose of showing the disciples. And I think, in, in, in my best thinking at this moment, it, it showed a snapshot of the glory of God's kingdom. So we're going to give you a sort of a representation of what perhaps was meant by this vision. Now, there's several different kinds of interpretations. We're going to give you one here. So let's start with Moses. Let's take a look at a potential representation for Moses here. Moses representing the design of deliverance of God and his law. Moses delivered the people and then the law that Jesus would later fulfill to pay the ransom. So Moses perhaps represented the design of deliverance of God and his law. Because remember, Moses was a deliverer. He was absolutely a deliverer. Yes, he was. But he also delivered God's law to the people. Yes, so the design of deliverance, I think, perhaps, is, is, is the, one of the representations of Moses here. 
Elijah. What does Elijah represent? Elijah representing support of deliverance, those who stood for and spoke for God's way. The prophets of old, Elijah himself, the pavers of the road for the Messiah, John the Baptist, and the true church. So while Moses perhaps represented the design of deliverance, perhaps Elijah represented the support of deliverance, the voice of deliverance, those who stood for and spoke for God's way. And again, we know that John the Baptist came in the power and spirit of Elijah, and we saw him stand up against the crowd. We saw him proclaim a message that, was, that received mixed results, but, and we saw him die for what he believed in. The, the true church, the true followers of Jesus at the time of his return should be doing the same thing and standing for what they believe in, even if it costs them their very life. So the support of deliverance, the voice of deliverance, perhaps. So the design of deliverance, the support and voice of deliverance, and then Jesus, well, that's probably the easiest one. <laughs> Jesus was deliverance, the centerpiece of God's plan, the ransom for all. All right, so... Those are our are, are best shot, if you will, at this moment on, on trying to figure out how this transfiguration uh, vision actually panned out in terms of trying to understand it. And the whole thing is, it's all about one thing, deliverance. That's, that's all there is. And again, let's pause here for a few minutes and let's look at, um, let's look at the power of legacy. Because, folks, look, if you're a Christian and you are proclaiming that, you've proclaimed that in your church or at some point in time, and you, 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 you want to follow the will of God and you pray and you want to walk in Jesus' footsteps, those are all wonderful thoughts and wonderful things to proclaim in that safe environment of church. But what about your life? You see, our legacy is not built by what we say and do and think in the safety of a closed environment. Our legacy is truly built by what we do in our everyday, by where we go in our everyday, by what we think and what we act upon, what we contribute to, what we ignore, what we stand up for, what we stand up against, uh, how we do it, the words we use, the phrases we won't use, the way we protect others, the way we put principles first, that's what creates legacy. And to whatever degree we take our Christ-likeness with us everywhere we go, to that degree our Christ-likeness will create our legacy for us. But Jonathan, if we don't take it, if we leave it home, if we just park it for a little while because, well, I want to go do this and, you know, everybody needs a break and, and, and all of that, we are giving our Christ-likeness a hard job to be our legacy. You're right. And we want to, to give value to our lives and to others. We want right. to be something that stands for something right. right. And following Jesus, there's nothing greater than that. And, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because the thing that, as a Christian, the thing you need to realize, though, is it's great to stand for something that's right, but it's different 
and higher and more important to stand for something that's godly. Righteousness in this world is not always godliness. And so we have to be able to make that distinction because our Christian legacy depends on that. And so to me, this is a very, very powerful lesson for us to apply in our everyday lives. And I just wanted to take a few minutes here and just sort of stop and consider the incredible responsibility we have to have that legacy, like you said earlier, that brings praise to God. Not to ourselves, because that's not the point. It's praise to God. So now, let's get back to the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus calms them down. He touched them. He said, don't be afraid. He told them not to talk about it. And so now, after the vision had passed, now, I, I imagine they're walking down from the mountain, and they're probably kind of maybe whispering to one another. I don't know if any of them is, is, is saying too much to Jesus, but then they finally come out and start asking him. They, uh, they, they talk to Jesus, and notice what they ask. Notice what the three apostles ask Jesus about. And these are verses that we've quoted like three times already, uh, this program, but one more time. And this is from, um, this is from Matthew uh, 17, I believe. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them about John the Baptist, and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. All right, so the thing they ask Jesus about, the one thing that is recorded that they ask Jesus about. So apparently the most important thing that they, that, that, that they would have talked to Jesus about at that moment after this incredible vision of Jesus and Moses and Elijah and the great power of God and the voice of God and all of this. The one thing that is so important is about, guess who? Elijah. <laughs> one more time. And we've quoted this verse many times without speaking of the context. But now that we've put it in context, it really helps to show us how powerful the legacy of Elijah really, really is. Because after this incredible vision, their question is not about Moses, it's about Elijah. Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So Jesus tells them, and again, we've gone over this verse, so we don't have to reinterpret it again, but he tells them about Elijah reappearing twice. He first says he's going to restore all things. Now remember, when Elijah was here originally, he did work of restoration with limited success. When Elijah appeared, John the Baptist, so it wasn't really Elijah, but in the spirit and power of Elijah, John the Baptist, it was with limited success. But Elijah will restore all things. And it's Elijah as the true church as a result of following Jesus who will restore all things. That, to me, it just gives you what a legacy what a privilege to have your name associated with the work that you did, with the work of Jesus the Messiah at his first advent, and with the work of Jesus the Messiah at his second advent, which brings us to, oh, I don't know, eternity. 
<laughs> so that to me is a great, great lesson in legacy. So what is our final legacy lesson? Legacy lesson number seven. A powerful and godly legacy is eternal. It can forevermore be looked to as a valuable part of the intricacy of God's grand plan for all. So the true followers of Christ can take that legacy lesson and say, if I am faithful to my calling, then that can be one of the things that is a result. That the legacy that by God's grace is shown through me can be ever more looked to be looked at as a valuable part, valuable part of the intricacy of God's grand plan for all. So the lives of those who are truly faithful are going to be a book to study, are going to be a book to look at for the people to be able to be inspired to walk in the way of righteousness. I mean, you think about how you and I, just as two little puny individuals, get so inspired by looking at the life of somebody like Elijah. <laughs> you know, and we know so little about him, really. And, and, and so, yes, the legacy of the true followers of Christ is a powerful tool in the hands of God. So, Jonathan, as we begin to wrap this up, Let's go to uh, part three of Leave Your Legacy Fellowship Stories, sort of that inspirational look at how legacies work in our lives. What will your name leave behind? Legacies test all boundaries. Legacies find no limits. Legacies light the way. Legacies lead. The choice is yours. What will be your legacy? What will be your legacy? I mean, that is such a powerful, powerful question at this point, and uh, you have a choice. I was thinking about Peter, James, and John after Jesus was raised from the dead. I wonder what their impression of what their vision was <laughs> and then seeing Jesus appearing and then disappearing. And it must have like been now we can talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Because he said we could. And then after the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, what it meant to them right. with having enlightenment, they must have been thrilled to, to have been a part of that. Incredibly so. Incredibly so. So here's where Elijah's legacy leads us to. Revelation 21, 4. Last verse. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no longer any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So that is what the legacy of Elijah leads us to. That's what the legacy of John the Baptist leads us to. That's what the legacy of the Apostle Paul and Peter and James leads us to. That's what the legacy of Timothy leads us to. That's what the legacy of Abraham and, and Ezra and Isaiah leads us to. That's what the legacy of Timothy leads us to. Every individual who followed the plan and the will of God, their legacy leads us to that verse and what it encompasses. Deliverance from sinfulness, deliverance from death because of the ransom price of Jesus Christ. So, Jonathan, as we wrap up, when we think of Elijah, we naturally think of the powerful example of how he articulated God's words, acted in accordance with God's will, and acquiesced to God's way. He was the picture of the power of courage. 
godly courage, and learn to develop that godly courage through the power of submission, which was part two. In the final analysis, his life produced an ages-long testimony to the power of legacy. What will we do with this courage, submission, and legacy? How can we leave our own legacy of courage and submission for others to follow as well? By honoring the Lord. Honor the Lord with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is our legacy. Folks, get to work on that and leave a legacy that's worth looking at, worth reading about, and worth emulating. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we will be back again next week with another subject. We hope you enjoyed being with us uh, today. But until next week, your legacy is of critical importance. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Give us suggestions for future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure to download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store, and we'll bring you a new program next week.